you have to look for companies that have a better ability of passing on higher input costs of the end consumer. So one way to play this is sticking with a quality factor. What you essentially end up with is companies that not only have sound balance sheets, but what I would consider durable balance sheets as well. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. CPI numbers came in above expectations again this week, fanning the flames that inflation is not as transitory as the Federal Reserve claims. How should investors weigh the potential for higher prices against the growth offered by an economic reopening? In this episode, Chris Heeks, Alfred Lee, and Mark Rays discuss how best to approach bonds and equities and then dive into more specific areas such as gold, dividends, and the recently announced U.S. bank earnings. Our experts also respond to advisors' questions on China, genomics, and European equities. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. Hello, and welcome to our BMO ETFs weekly insight call with our team of experts. I'm your host, Mark Reyes, head of product for BMO GAN Canada. I'd like to thank everyone for listening in. We certainly appreciate your time. We're joined today by Chris Heeks and Alfred Lee, both our portfolio managers on our ETF desk, covering equity solutions, derivative-based strategies, uh, and as well, fixed income and preferred shares. So thanks to both of you for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Good morning. Great. Well, let's, uh, let's kick things off. Certainly, inflation has been the news so far this week. Uh, we understand that, of course, the significant contributor to inflation has been the transition for last year's, let's call it, stalled-out economy. But we continue to see CPI come in over expectations. What has been the impact if you look at the most recent inflation number? And how would you approach this, both from an equity and bond market perspective? Thanks. It's a good question, Mark. I think um, you know, you're right. Um, inflation has definitely been coming in on expectations. So yesterday we saw another CPI number come out uh, with the U.S. CPI number, um, you know, releasing a bunch of numbers yesterday. So yesterday's year-over-year number came in at 5.4%. So the expectations was for 4.9%. So that's a full uh, half a percentage point higher than what the market was anticipated. Um, so you're definitely right. I mean, because we are taking year-over-year numbers, um, you know, you could argue that a lot of this is due to what's known as the base effect. So it's essentially taking um, a number over, you know, essentially a period of time where the economy was depressed. Uh, but when you look at a month over month number, which was also released yesterday, that came in at 0.9%. So again, you know, 50 basis points higher than what the market was anticipating. And this was for the month of June. Um, a lot of people are saying that, you know, higher inflation is due to um, higher energy costs, higher food costs. So when you look at a, you know the, the futures market for, for um, commodities and agriculture futures, definitely have been trending up. Uh, but again, you know when you look at core CPI, which was released yesterday, um, also 50 basis points higher than what was expected for core CPI as well. Um, so when you look at the trend in CPI, 
Uh, this is the fourth consecutive month that we've been seeing it higher than the target 2% that the Fed likes to run with. Um, you know, even though the Fed did come out saying last year that, you know, they are going to manage inflation more based on long-term uh, targets than, than rather short-term targets. Um, but another data point came out this morning as well, which was the PPI number, the producer price index. Uh, that came in at 7.3%, which was, you know, a lot higher than CPI. Uh, we've been saying all along over the last couple of months that PPI in this economy should be a leading indicator in terms of what's going to happen with CPI. Uh, just because the economy has been locked down, uh, it's been harder for producers to pass on those higher input costs to the end consumer. But now as you know, the economy is starting to open up, uh, as demand starts to pick up, we're starting to see uh, producers start having an easier time in passing those higher input costs to the end consumer. So essentially, you know, what goes on in PPI essentially will show up in CPI potentially over the next couple of months. So in terms of how the market has been reacting, uh, the market so far seems to be shaking it off. I think, you know, for the most part, investors are chalking it up to, you know, inflation being transitory in nature. Uh, the general consensus right now is that inflation uh, will moderate once, you know, global supply chains start to normalize. Uh, one thing I will point out is that uh, most goods and services exhibit what we call price stickiness. So when prices go up, they don't necessarily go down um, as easily. So, um, you know, I think one way to play this is that you have to look for companies that have a better ability of passing on higher input costs of the end consumer. So one way to play this is sticking with a quality factor. So ZUQ, for example, which is our U.S. quality ETF, um, what we do in this ETF is we essentially screen for companies that have a you know, high return on equity, low earnings variability, and low financial leverage as well. Um, so what you essentially end up with is companies that not only have sound, sound balance sheets, but what I would consider durable balance sheets as well. So they're going to have you know, a better probability of performing well, no matter what the economic backdrop is. So you're essentially investing in companies that have you know, competitive advantages or, or just you know, blue chips in nature. So uh, ZUQ is one way to play it. ZGQ is a broader way of playing it where, you know, not just sticking to the U.S., but looking at you know, the best blue chip companies in the world. So, um, you know, a lot of people will point out that saying that since the reopening trade started to take place, you know, starting in November of last year, the quality factor essentially underperformed. But when you look at, you know, ZUQ in particular uh, versus the S&P 500 over the last you know, month, month and a half, it started breaking out, you know, relative to the broad market. Um, since the end of May. So something that I definitely put on the radar, I think it's a good way to play it if inflation starts to, you know, continues to tick up. Uh, on the fixed income side of the portfolio, you know, what I'd be worried about right now is, you know, if inflation continues to tick up, it's going to force the Fed to realize that it's behind the curve. So when you look at the level of quantitative easing that they're implementing right now, um, its direction in terms of how it's going to tighten monetary policy, I think, you know, the level of its monetary policy, it's, it's no longer appropriate for you know, the current state of the economy. So if inflation starts to continue, in, uh, to, continue to come in higher than expectations, um, I think it's going to force the Fed to start you know, tapering ahead of expectations. So, um, you know, so far, the Fed has been very hesitant to even talk about tapering. Um, but, you know, obviously, what goes on with U.S. interest rates can have an impact on you know, global yield curves to Canada Canada is going to be no exception to this. I think the Bank of Canada right now is essentially just waiting for the Fed to move uh, before it starts, you know, tightening monetary policy to to the next step, just because it doesn't want a stronger U.S. dollar, uh, stronger Canadian dollar. 
but essentially how it plays fixed income right now is that stick to the short end of the curve, but that's still overweight credit this, at this point. It's still you know, prefer Canadian credit over U.S. credit. So, you know, the way I would play it is ZCS, which is uh, the BMO short corporate bond uh, index ETF, which focuses on, you know, corporate bond, uh, Canadian corporate bonds investment grade uh, one to five year uh, in terms of term to maturity. I, you know, that's the way I'd play uh, the fixed income side of the equation if inflation continues to tick up. Great. Thanks for that update, Alfred. Uh, a couple of good ideas that we can take back to our own portfolios. Now, as a follow-up uh, to this inflation story, uh, we've seen gold give back some of its recent gains. Uh, of course, that's despite uh, the rising inflation. Typically, we think of gold as being a bit of an inflation hedge, amongst other things. So using our ZGD ETF, what is impacting performance and what do you view as a catalyst to positive momentum? Yeah, so you're right. I mean, you know, when you bring up gold, um, it definitely is used as an inflation uh, hedge, but it's also used as a hedge against, um, you know, as you put it, you know, many different things as well. So um, inflation has definitely ticked up, as as I mentioned, over the last couple of months. Um, Gold doesn't really seem like it's benefiting right now. So year to date, you know, spot gold is down about, you know, 5% year to date. Um, but, you know, as I mentioned, you know, gold is used for a hedge against, you know, three main things, uh, macroeconomic risk, a weak U.S. dollar, and also inflation as well. Um, so even though inflation has ticked up, I would say, you know, macroeconomic risk has definitely dissipated in the last six months. And I would say most of the gold buying that's occurred in the last, you know, year has been due to um, concerns about macroeconomic risk. So as vaccination rates have gone up, uh, we're finally starting to see economies, you know, open up. Um, so in terms of, you know, gold being used as a tail risk hedge, that's definitely been on the decline. Um, also, when you look at the U.S. dollar, um, it's strengthened in the last, you know, uh, last couple of weeks. So not just against the Canadian dollar, but when you look at the U.S. dollar index, which is essentially a trade-weighted basket against, you know, six other currencies, it's essentially been ticking up since the uh, June FOMC meeting where, you know, the Fed came in with, you know, more hawkish tone than what the market had anticipated. So um, in terms of a catalyst for gold, I would say, you know, I think if we see sustained inflation, so a couple more months where we see, um, you know, higher inflation and also not just higher inflation, but also trending up as well, um, gold potentially will rally if we do see that. Um, but I think right now, I think the market isn't fully convinced that, um, you know, inflation isn't transitory at this point. Um, but I think, you know, gold is a very interesting commodity to look at right now. Um, I think it's, it's, you know, right now it's kind of in no man's land for the time being. But, you know, as I mentioned, I think if we do see a couple more months where you know, CPI numbers continue to tick up, uh, but not only that, I think, you know, it really ha- it depends on how the Fed reacts as well. So if the Fed continues to brush off inflation um, and it continues to go with its narrative that it's transitory in nature, while CPI continues to rise, I think that's going to be a catalyst as well, where, you know, the market's going to think that, the Fed is underreacting uh, to what's going on uh, in terms of inflation. So uh, when you look at the chart on gold, it did try to mount a rally in the second quarter, uh, which it did. But, you know, the Fed saying that it will raise rates uh, twice in 2023 at its last you know, FOMC meeting a couple of weeks ago, that essentially derailed the rally. Um, but again, you know, it really depends on what happens with CPI. Uh, what and what, you know, how the Fed reacts to inflation that is, potentially going to be the catalyst. But I think gold is definitely a very interesting one, Um, something definitely to keep on the radar. And if gold starts to rally, 
um, ZGT, uh, which is our global gold ETF, ZJG, which is our junior gold ETF. Um, both of those are something to put on the radar for the time being. All right, thanks for that update, Alfred. It is interesting to see that gold has been struggling of late despite the inflation uh, concerns, but clearly other things have played. Now let's switch the conversation over to earnings where U.S. banks have started to report. What are you seeing so far? And what does that mean both for the broader U.S. economy but then it's getting more specific, or ZDK U.S. Bank CTF. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Mark. And, uh, and and as you know, not just ZBK, but ZWK, our cover call bank CTF, yielding 7%, and uh, ZUB, our U.S. banks hedged to Canadian dollars. Um, I think what you're seeing overall is certainly very strong beats. Uh, we've seen Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, JPM, uh, JP Morgan, uh, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, they've all reported this week, uh, Morgan Stanley's tomorrow. They're, they're beating by an average of 30% um, on analyst expected earnings. So they're, they're um, very strong. And I think it's indicative of, um, you know, a U.S. economy that is reopening and, um, you know, overall suffered less kind of credit losses during COVID than, than may have had, you know, been initially, um, initially estimated. So very strong earnings, I'd say. Um, the stocks themselves are are up, but kind of just marginally, a little bit mixed. You know, a couple of things that, that analysts are looking at, um, uh, trading revenue, um, a little bit down. Um, to me, this is not uncommon. You usually see those higher trading revenues kind of in the midst of uh, the chaos, so to speak. So we did see those earnings kind of peak from a trading revenue perspective um, kind of last year. Uh, and, and there's a, there's a concern about costs. So you know the inflation argument uh, um, certainly spills through to you know broader broader companies as well. And there's you know particularly when it comes to human resources, so people um, in the U.S. getting you know getting the right people and the right jobs. Um, there's some concern that that's, there's going to be an increased cost to get people there. Um, but you know I think I think you know. I, Stepping aside from those, you know, kind of quarter to quarter, kind of um, looking at trading, I think overall it was really strong, actually. And I think the big picture to me is still that we're seeing, um, you know, continued improvements in, in um, you know, the COVID numbers, you know, economic reopening happening in, in the U.S. are a little ahead of a little ahead of Canada, but you know, it's still they're still in the process of doing it, and you know, as are we. And, um, you know, overall, this has been, you know, really positive for, for banks. Um, you know, interest rate steepening has been a positive. We're still seeing, you know, very low short-term rates for the foreseeable future. And, and longer interest rates have increased. Um, you know, I think that's a trend that could well continue as well. So that's, that's going to, um, you know, drive, um, you know, some, some, some wins at the back of the U.S. banks. So, you know, I think on a, on a high-level perspective, you know, we're still, you know, in the, in, in the midst of a, a somewhat of a reopening trade, not as perhaps juicy as it was in the earlier months of the year, uh, but it's still happening and that the banks are benefiting and, you know, they are, they are making more money than they ever have before, literally, um, you know, and, and really surprised to the upside on earnings. So I think they're quite fundamentally strong and, you know, would seek to continue to have exposure. I think the ZWK, uh, cover call U.S. banks is a great way to play it because not only do you get the upside exposure, but you can also generate some income. So as there's some volatility around earnings and, you know, in, in just in general, as we kind of proceed through the rest of the year, um, you know, I think that income stream could be valuable for investors. So 
you know, overall things still uh, pretty uh, constructive on the U.S. banks, and and they're um, they're showing some good fundamental strength. You are listening to Views from the Desk, a weekly edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying today's discussion, we encourage you to check out our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Check out episode 83 in the same podcast series where Brian Belsky, Chief Investment Strategist at BMO Capital Markets, introduces his new U.S. all-cap strategy. This exciting new ETF, ticker ZACE, ZACE, helps you invest across all market cap exposures to capture growth in companies both big and small. Now let's stay with the U.S., where we've seen ZDY, our U.S. dividend ETF, you know, almost keeping up with the market in 2021, which, of course, is a bit of a welcome change when we look back to the struggles that dividend strategies had in 2020. Can you comment on what is driving dividend strategies this year? Uh, just maybe touch on our, our methodology and a couple of the top names, and then give us your outlook thinking about dividends for the rest of the year. Thanks. Yeah, I think what was driving them last year is still driving them this year from some some uh, perspectives because, you know, I think the dividends you're looking at kind of call it a little bit more old world economies. You know, we've got less of an exposure to tech, a um, little more of a value bias in dividends. You know, we've talked on the podcast, this connection between dividends and value. You know, value in 2020 had its, you know, capped off a nine-year kind of uh, not-so-good streak with, with one of its worst uh, performances last year, you know, as we saw tech really rally uh, significantly last year. Um, you know, we've had a lot of, we've seen a lot of reversal in that since this kind of reopening trade that kicked off in November. Um, dividends in the U.S. was at DY without performing the S&P. It was, you know, right until June, there's a little bit of a, you know, shift back to tech for the month of June. Um, so we'll see if that has legs, but, you know, certainly still, I think, bullish on dividends and value as, as the reopening trade kind of continues to happen. You know, in terms of the methodology, um, you know, we did make a tweak back in December to focus more on total dividends and less just on dividend yields. So uh, prior to that, you know, we would select companies based on their dividend yield and, and weight them accordingly. Now we look at total dividends. So that's market cap times dividend yield. What you have there is kind of a kind of a, a you have a blend of both uh, size as well as yield. So you know companies like Apple, which are obviously you know beyond massive, you know over two trillion, I believe. Um, you know they pay they pay you know a lower dividend yield, but now because of uh, we're looking at total dividends, we have a higher weight in the portfolio. Uh, we've also added some credit rating screens. So we, you know, if a company has a junk rating on their bonds, we wouldn't be holding it in this portfolio. And I think that's very logical. You know, if a company is struggling to pay its debt, you know, what does that say about its equity, right? Um, so, you know, they may not be able to pay that dividend yield. So we've had a couple measures that I think have actually really made these portfolios a lot more robust. Um, if you look at the top 10 in ZDY now, for example, we've got Apple, Microsoft, our one and two, um, Cisco, Coca-Cola, you know, Walmart, Home Depot, like all very, very um, solid blue chip names. Um, it has had the side benefit as well of getting us a little more exposure to technology. So that's been that's been beneficial. So, you know, I think overall we're still pretty constructive on dividends and value. 
Um, really like the changes that occurred in the portfolio in December, and that was rolled out in both, you know, in all of, all of our dividend strategies across Canada, U.S., and EFI. And, uh, you know, I think the, the outlook continues to be strong. Um, you know, like I said, tech kind of had a reversal in June, but I think, you know, the reopening trade still has some legs to it. And and these names um, in portfolios, the way they're constructed now, they're very solid, stable, good credit ratings. You know, I think we're going to have, um, you know, continue to have a good run with dividend strategies across the suite. Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Now, normally at this point, I would open for questions. Uh, it would be star six on your line, but I do see we've actually received in a couple of email questions. So I'm going to start there. Uh, first one is an interesting one. In the news, of course, China has been cracking down on on tech. And on the other side, the U.S. has you know antitrust bills and now new executive orders uh, targeting tech industries. Can you give us your thoughts as they relate to sort of both sides of this? Uh, one via China and second versus our NASDAQ ETF, ZQQ or ZNQ for the unhedged. Thanks. Yeah, I think this is an interesting one. Um, you know, it's been interesting to see, you know, Trump obviously started this kind of um, saber rattling with China. You know, it started this executive order where it prohibited uh, U.S. investors from investing in certain companies tied to, uh, to China's military complex. You know, you've actually seen Biden very much, you know, pick up the ball and run with it in the same direction. Um, I think it's just from a political point of view in the U.S. Uh, to seem to be acquiescing to China, uh, perhaps is not politically favorable. So you've actually seen Biden kind of continue this policy that, that started with Trump. Um, you know, I do ultimately think this is this is a little short sighted to be focused on the saber rattling. Um, I, I, I think China, you know, the rise of China is something that is an investment theme. Um, it's not going to be undone by these kind of, I would, I would describe them as somewhat marginal policies at the edge, marginal policies, but ones that are getting a lot of press. But to me, it doesn't really change the fundamentals of, of either China or technology companies. Um, so I actually think with ZCH with China, I actually think, I actually think there's a bit of an opportunity right now, um, certainly well off the, um, well off the highs and it's a little bit de- bit depressed around these negative earnings. You know, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on China over the long term um, and in emerging markets in general. I think for a lot of investors, ZEM is a great choice to get that emerging market exposure. You're going to get about 40% China there. And, um, and you know, there's just a, you know, a lot of reasons we can talk about why we like emerging markets. But certainly, you know, the GDP growth and the growth of those economies, China very much included, you know, is a big factor. And yeah, I think ZCH for a more uh, targeted approach, perhaps a little more of an aggressive investor uh, with a higher risk tolerance. I think it's an interesting opportunity. Um, again, China's just China in 2020 was one of the best performing markets, and you know has really come off in recent times due to this kind of political environment. So I think I think I, I still, you know, I'm a believer in that exposure over the long time. I think it's interesting if you can take a little more risk. Um, and then just in terms of technology, I think you know overall the same comments there in terms of, um, you know, there's some marginal policies. You know, there's a little bit of overhang talking about regulatory pressures in the U.S., you know, as well as what China's doing on their side. Um, but, you know, I, I just don't see, you know, I see these as more marginal. I don't see this disrupting a long-term secular trend in that, you know, this is, you know, 
you know, as, as we all know, this is a sector you need to have exposure to. And, and, you know, to Alfred's point on quality, a lot of those quality companies are technology and the highest quality companies in the world, you know, are in this sector, like Apple, Microsoft, you know, Google, et cetera. So a um, little bit of short-term noise, but I think, um, you know, the long-term, um, long-term trends very much in effect. So I'm not too concerned from a long-term point of view. I think the ZWT, one of our new ETFs we launched, uh, marked this earlier this year, the covered call technology could be some merits to that. And we're having strong, per, you know, performance out of the gate with that fund. So um, that's, you know, perhaps if you're a little concerned about tech, um, you could look at a covered call approach on that sector. But um, I think the long-term trend's still there. So I wouldn't be uh, super worried as long as you're a long-term investor. Thanks, Chris. Um, another one that came in on genomics, uh, certainly an advisor noticing the recent stronger performance of ZGen or ZGEN, our uh, genomic innovation ETF, has been trading uh, quite a bit up since about May. Is this related to uh, the industry being oversold, or is there more positive news out there when you think about things like you know, Pfizer now talking about a booster shot, clearly the rise of uh, variants, meaning that, you know, there's still quite a bit of work ahead uh, for these firms related to, to COVID and uh, further innovation, further further research and development uh, that could mean, you know, quite a positive trend for this industry. Thanks. Sure. Um, I could take that one. You know, I think when you look at a lot of the, um, smaller cap innovative companies that have been involved in the uh, gen- genomic innovation space, you know, they've definitely been oversold in the last uh, year. So I'd say, you know, a fair degree of that is definitely due to, you know, a, a technical bounce back. Um, I would say in terms of the Pfizer news, just in terms of the booster shot, probably had a little impact on, on the theme in general. Um, but what really started, you know, the bounce back in, in May was really um, the Biden home and community-based uh, service uh, plan. So this is essentially the healthcare plan that was, you know, part of the infrastructure package that got passed by uh, Congress earlier in the year. Um, so when you look at, you know, what drove the rally or the bounce back in uh, ZGen and, and you know some of the subsectors that really contributed to the return since May, it's really been services and the equipment subsectors, uh, which have really been, you know, the subsectors most impacted by that healthcare spending package. Um, but, you know, when you when you look at, uh, you know, those people that have been following the story, a lot of people have been saying that, you know, the plan has um, essentially been stalled just because a lot of the Republicans have been saying that, um, you know, the healthcare spending doesn't necessarily fit under the infrastructure spending package. But, you know, what, what the Democrats are doing right now is that they are trying to fit um, this healthcare spending under uh, a different bill. So right now they're looking at the budget reconciliation bill in order to to find the necessary funding for uh, this healthcare spending. But overall, you know, I'd say what happens on a day-to-day basis or, you know, over the short term it has very little impact in terms of, you know, the Z-Gen story. Um, I would say, you know, the Z-Gen story is, is much longer term in nature where, you know, we are starting to see a lot of you know, interesting developments in this space where, you know, um, a lot of the breakthrough technology is, is really going to change and shift and shape, you know, what we see in the healthcare industry over the next, you know, 10 years, 20 years. Uh, so a good example of this is, you know, CRISPR, uh, which is, you know, for those that don't know, 
It's essentially gene editing technology, which essentially made a pretty big headline two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, um, so they injected you know CRISPR in the bloodstream of you know, subjects for the first time, but it does show a lot of promises in terms of you know curing a lot of diseases that you know we thought were incurable, uh, not curable, even you know two to three years ago. So, you know, as I mentioned, I think you know the Zedgen story. It's going to take a long time to play out. Um, you know what happens on a day-to-day basis. Um, it's going to have a little impact, uh, but it's essentially you know a, a story that's going to resonate well over the next you know five, ten, even twenty years. Great, thanks for that, Alfred. The last one that I've got emailed in. We're on a run today. Um, someone who's clearly been uh, paying attention to Europe, watching the, uh, the Italy uh, England game perhaps on the weekend. Noting European stocks on the rise as they watch, as they watch the tournament. Uh, but can you give us some thoughts on your ZEQ uh, or European quality ETF? Thanks. Yeah, for sure. And I think uh, you know, Europe, uh, European stocks have uh, been doing quite well, um, you know, as well as uh, you know, in line with the popularity of the uh, European uh, soccer tournament. So. You know, if we look at ZEQ, it's up 18% this year. I think Europe in general, some have looked to Europe as a, as a reopening trade in, a, in and of itself from an allocation point of view. Uh, Canada the same way as well. Uh, if you look at ZEQ, you know, it's, it's been a real star in Europe. And, I, and, and we, you know, we launched this specifically to deal with some of the challenges in Europe um, back in, I believe it was 2013. Uh, but, you know, Europe is, you know, it's obviously, um, you know, being exposed to different areas of the world helps you from a diversification perspective. But sometimes, you know, you should be worried about the downside risk. And, and Europe as a region has been subject to, I would say, you know, greater than its fair share of kind of geopolitical risk. You know, obviously, Brexit's a big example. Um, you know, around the time we launched it, it was just after their, um, you know, their pigs uh, debt crisis. Um, Greece austerity, so you do see these factors that come can come into play with Europe, and I, I don't I don't think they're necessarily out of the woods with kind of with some of the populist movements there, uh, possible other challenges to the European Union kind of integrity. Uh, so ZEQ again, this is an area where quality, you know, as a factor, you can rely on it um, to kind of shield you from more cyclical stocks, um, but at the same time, you don't give up on growth because you're getting access to profitable stocks, uh, but they're profitable stocks with, with strong balance sheets and they can uh, generally weather downturns better than the broad market. So um, it's been a really effective uh, strategy in Europe because I think that's what a lot of people look for when they go to that region. Now, so if you look at the last five years and, you know, versus broad Europe, that EQ's added about 4% in annualized alpha. Um, so definitely like this as a tool to getting exposure to Europe and, 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 and like it from a continued point of view. You know, I'd add, we did a little bit of work uh, earlier this week looking at ZEQ and ZWE, uh, so the cover call high dividend Europe, and looking at that as a pair, as a way to play the region from a pair point of view. And I think that's that's a really nice mix as well. I, I'd add on because you get a little more of that cyclical value type exposure with the, with the dividend strategy, so it's a little more a little more growth, and it pairs and complements the quality very well. So that's just another idea to play the, play the region as well. Thanks, Chris. Well, that's all I've got in terms of emailed in questions. I want to thank everyone for listening in this week. We really appreciate you doing so. Thanks for your time. And of course, 
appreciate your insights, both Chris and Alfred, covering a lot of topics today, uh, obviously covering off the big stories in the news, but also bringing back some great ideas to our own uh, practices, our own uh, portfolios and ideas that we can implement to, to improve that client experience. So thanks to both of you. And with that, I just want to thank everyone one last time and have a great day. Thank you to Alfred Lee, Chris Heeks, and Mark Rays for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard about all sides of the portfolio, from equities to bonds, commodities to dividends. In particular, investors who are concerned about inflation risk learned about the resilience of BMO's quality suite, with tickers like ZUQ for high-caliber companies based in the United States, ZEQ for Europe, and ZGQ for an all-world exposure. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's bmoetfs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.